Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. All right, welcome back, everybody. Hope everybody's going to have a good Memorial Day weekend here. I think it's going to be rather interesting. There's certainly a lot of buzz and a lot of talk regarding a number of different political things that uh, may or may not take place, but I have a great deal of things to get to, lots of show notes, lots of documents to read through. Um, a few crisis scenario documents that AJ tossed my way, and our excellent educator from Louisiana also threw me a proposed House bill. I believe it is 472, if I'm not mistaken here, and uh, it is rather suspicious when it comes to the state of education, and she asked me for my analysis on it, uh, and we have a very similar take. And I really think that they're preparing for the Department of Education to not exist. And it also seems that within this document, what they're asking for, or certainly scheming to have exist, is a national database that basically has no oversight. This, again, specifically has to do with licensure and uh, teacher certification and things of that nature. But it's more big government, which means it would be infiltrated very easily by endless entities and endless individuals, which would probably lead to more degenerate professional development and, frankly, just full-blown communism, if not Bolshevism, right down to it. So I want to get to those a little bit later, too. But first of all, I know that there's been a lot of posts, and I put them in the war video about individuals in the Senate, uh, again, at least a dozen, if not two dozen of them, receiving sort of their satellite phones, I guess. There's a lot of talk out there that they're going to be spending the weekend with their families in undisclosed locations, if not inside of bunkers, believe it or not. This is a rumor that's going around, and that uh, it's quite possible that the reinstatement of Donald Trump is rather imminent, although I, who's to really say regarding any of that? I think, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting rumor. But it does bring about the question as to why those senators would get those satellite phones. Seems rather strange. It may not be for that reason, but it may be for something else. And it may be, again, for some crisis scenario that's going to be peddled to the public as being real when, in fact, it won't be. Either way, when it comes to long weekends like this, where a lot of people are traveling and a lot of people are together and family members or friends are together, um, you know, heads on a swivel, without a doubt. Certainly, again, make sure you're carrying a piece if you don't already. And uh, yeah, I would personally avoid large areas, but that's just me. So there you go. I just wanted to throw that out there. I'll get into a few, again, more related documents a little bit later in this episode of, of things that they've, of course, published in the past and done in the past when it comes to these crisis scenarios. And as we know, I mean, they, they planned out the COVID stuff well in advance, which again, a lot of these documents lay out, which is remarkably frightening. Either way, uh, let me see. I wanted to mention this too. You may recall a long time ago, I, I mentioned that I did an interview slash talk with Von Miller from the uh, America Happens channel on Rumble or the American, America Happens Network. Apparently that has now aired. So it either aired, uh, let's see, Wednesday, if, if memory serves, but that is on the America Happens channel on Rumble, if you're interested in checking that out. 
I'll fully admit it's not the best talk I've ever given. Uh, it was later at night. I was pretty tired. I didn't know what the line of questioning was going to be. I thought we would be able to talk about the jabs and how that's destroying American education, but it turned out to just be basically questions about, um, you know, my time as a school teacher, what I witnessed, and how they cover up their own degenerate behavior and they cover for one another and their criminal organizations, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that was pretty much the basis of the talk, but it's not really edited either. It has it listed as being a four-hour conversation when, in fact, it's just a two-hour conversation. So halfway through, it just repeats itself. And uh, yeah, there you go. But if you're interested in watching that, you know, I'm not going to stop you. Go for it. I wanted to mention this too. Jesse James and, and Sandy tossed this my way from Michigan. I thought this was rather interesting and disturbing at the same time. This is from the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center, and uh, it is titled Drive Safe, capital S-A-F-E, Safety, Access, Freedom, and Economy Bill, or bills, rather. Senate Bills 433-434 and House Bills 4835 and 4836. The Michigan Immigrant Rights Center Legislative Alert. Uh, let's see. It says on May 11th of 2021, those Senate Bills and House Bills also known as the Drive Safe Access Bills, were introduced in the Michigan State Legislature. And the bills are sponsored by the following legislatures. There they are. All Democrats. Shocking. And here's a summary of it. It says the bills would make non-commercial Michigan driver's licenses and state identification cards available to applicants who do not have proof of U.S. citizenship or immigration status. Not good. It says the bills eliminate the legal presence, quote-unquote, requirement for standard licenses, and they, would be uh, they, and they would specify types of documentation allowable for proving Michigan residency and identity. This bill would modify the section of the Michigan Vehicle Code relating to driver's licenses, and the other would modify the section relating to state identification cards. The bills would forbid discrimination against and heightened police scrutiny of individuals holding standard licenses issued under the new section of the law, unquote. It goes on and on, as you would expect, but we know what this also means. It means that it would give illegals the right to vote. Because as long as they have a state-issued driver's license or an identification card, that's all they need to vote which means it's a workaround and a backdoor implementation of allowing illegals to vote in Michigan. I'm telling you what, the people proposing this, all right, let's see, Senator Chang, shocking, Senator Bricks, or Brinks rather, Representative Koopa, and Representative Hood, these people should be hung for treason because that's what this is. Again, giving illegals driver's licenses without the ability to drive, but state-issued identification cards so that they can vote. This is treason. This stuff drives me up the wall. It really does. I cannot stand it. These people are working against the best interests of the, of the legal citizens of the United States. Seems like that's against the law. Just at face value, it seems like it's against the law. Absolutely disgusting. Okay. Let me get to this first. 
This is directly from Louisiana, and our educator in Louisiana, who will remain anonymous, has been a guest on the show. Can't wait to have her back on when uh, when she's out of the business to describe some of the other things that she saw going on. But she tossed this House bill my way, and it's House Bill number 472 by Representative Mincy. I'm saying that right. And uh, this representative used to be a Democrat for the most part, certainly for a number of years, and then all of a sudden changed his party to a Republican. Now, I don't trust either party, and I certainly don't trust somebody who changes sides, so to speak. That seems a bit odd. Either way, this particular bill, my, I'm just going to give you my overall summary first before I read through it. It's only two pages long. It's, it's not long, and they even bring up some concerns with it, some serious concerns. But if we can anticipate at some point the Federal Department of Education ceasing to exist, we know that the enemy wants something in place and in its place. In my opinion, this will create a Bolshevik-style committee that is an interstate committee, by the way. So ultimately, Louisiana would be forfeiting their individuality as a Department of Education and giving up all of their power, so to speak, to an interstate conglomerate that is contractually obligated to work with one another to where essentially they get to select particular teachers and the certification that they have and whether it's valid or not and whether or not they have reciprocity. And then unfortunately, it creates a number of other things, which I, I don't think that they're mentioning in the bill, but it certainly sets up the opportunity for them to push forth any outside ideology, basically, that they would want to be implemented at the local level and then across numerous states. Now, that, of course, is communism. And then if you don't play ball, they'll come after you and they'll put restrictions on your license and Ultimately, that's what I see happening here. So they refer to it again as a compact, which is a contract. So here we go. It says, what does the bill do or what the bill does? It says it requires the Louisiana Department of Education to join a national compact for teachers certification, quote unquote, sight unseen. Since the regulations have yet to be written by the Multi-State Compact Commission. With no input or oversight from the Louisiana legislature or BESE, and without knowing the cost to Louisiana taxpayers, since the fees, expenses, purchases, litigation costs, etc., will all be set at some point in the future by the multi state compact. So, again, it's taking out individuality, and I think this is what, again, this representative is basically commenting on what the bill does. I don't know if they're supporting it or not, but this is just sort of their, their write-up about it. It says, any regulations written by the out-of-state commission would supersede Louisiana law and appears to violate the Louisiana Constitution. The compact would force the Louisiana Department of Education to enter private teaching licensing information into a national database and that information would be subject to the rules set up by the compact. Although the bill is offered under the guise allowing military spouses to obtain teaching jobs, when their military spouse moves to a new state, 
the bill appears to have some serious constitutional problems and the loss of state sovereignty. The bill also affects all teachers and not just military spouses that are teachers. It says, note, the bill is not needed because the Louisiana legislature already has already given rather reciprocity to military spouses in regarding occupational licensing in Act 200 of the 2020 regular session. The Louisiana Department of Education already promulgated the rules to allow for military spouses to have reciprocity in Louisiana if they have taught in another state for three years. The legislature could simply delete the three-year experience requirement. It says point two regarding, again, what this bill is. It says, according to an, an interview in May of 2022 with Philip Rogers of the National Association of State Directors of Education and Certification, the state compact for teaching licensing first began as part of the Obama administration. Red flag. Big red flag right there. It says Philip Rogers, the federal government's very, in, he said, quote, the federal government's very interested in the development of interstate agreements. This is the only issue I think the Obama administration and the current administration agreed on. In the Obama administration, I worked with Jill Biden, Joe Biden's wife, and Michelle Obama's office. Both, both of them were very involved in the issue as it relates to spouses of military personnel. The Department of Defense and the Department of Labor are very interested in the whole topic of interstate reciprocity of occupational license. The process of creating interstate compacts is under review now by the feds. The Council on the State Governments manages all of these compacts, and so they're managing ours as well, unquote. Philip Rogers then went on and said, number one, you're asking about national education policy. States, quote unquote, is in our name, and we've talked so far about interstate agreements, not national agreements. And I very loosely refer to our clearinghouse as a national database, but I will never say that in front of our members. It's an interstate database. Words are important. It says point three of this bill. Specific concerns with HB 472. It creates a joint public agency in another state with a group of other states, and we do not know which other states, to dictate how the Louisiana Department of Education handles some parts of teachers' certification. In other words, Louisiana is entering into a contract, even though we do not know the identity of the other parties yet, nor do we know what the terms of the contract will be because they have not been written, but the contract will be binding on Louisiana. Then it says point B, it interferes with state sovereignty that is established under the Louisiana Constitution and allows this unelected, unaccountable group with offices in other states to, at some point in the future, write regulations that will promulgate uniform rules to implement and administer this compact to license Louisiana teachers and these regulations and rules shall have the force and effect of law, rather. It says even though the legislator uh, never votes on them. Again, this, excuse me, this is 
this is not good. This is not good. This would this would create. Well, again, let me put it this way: the business is crumbling, so in the end, this won't matter because all this is designed to do really is frustrate even more people and push more people out of the business. That's sort of my overall umbrella comment on this entire thing. There's no way this is going to be inviting for anybody wanting to be a school teacher because they're going to say to themselves, wait a minute, I have to jump through another hoop now to be a school teacher. Maybe I have to take diversity, equity, and inclusion training now. Maybe that has to be mandatory across numerous states now. You see, this is the this is the slippery slope of communism. This is the slippery slope of degenerate behavior. This is the slippery slope of Bolshevism. Because again, if someone holds licensure and they do the right thing, like say, oh, I don't know, be a whistleblower and, and point out all of this degenerate behavior. If the degenerate behavior is sanctioned and completely allowed by the committee and by these interstate compacts, that whistleblower, theoretically, in the eyes of people like who would be on this commission, wouldn't be a whistleblower. Again, take what just happened in Congress last week with four, it was either three or four FBI agents who were whistleblowers regarding what's going on in the FBI. You had the Democrat side, so to speak, sitting on the dais, not calling these guys whistleblowers. They were saying they're not whistleblowers. You're not really a whistleblower. You're just a disgruntled employee and you didn't want to do what you were told to do and and you're just a disgruntled employee. What do you think a state compact, an interstate compact, which is a commission on education regarding licensure and a thousand other things, would end up doing with someone who is a real whistleblower? They'd spit in their face. Again, more government is a bad idea, but what pe- is always a bad idea, but what people have to understand is is that the destruction of every institution is the plight of the Marxist. That's what they're interested in. They aren't interested in replacing it with anything that's better or more simple and, of course, eliminating jobs and positions in the process that are completely useless. They're interested in making more government jobs to outnumber the individual, to then either brainwash the individual who's dumb enough to comply, or at the very least, push out all of the morally sound human beings from any line of work whatsoever. And I think that's exactly what this is doing. Uh, It says this, this is their point C of their specific concerns with the bill, and they are beyond valid. It says, once this unelected, unaccountable, out-of-state commission writes the regulations, they supersede the laws passed by the legislature or the rules passed by BESE. In order to override a regulation adopted by this out-of-state commission, a majority others states' legislatures must pass laws to reject the commission's regulation within four years, or the Louisiana legislature cannot change the regulation. It says that are binding on all of the states. It's globalism. It's globalism within our own country. Again, superseding state law, superseding local local oversight or local law. It's a nightmare. 
It says, note, this bill says that the compact is intended, quote unquote, to state sovereignty in the regulation of the teaching profession, but then proceeds to use the rest of the pages of the bill listing actual ways that it does violate state sovereignty by superseding the laws passed by the legislature and requiring the governor of the Louisiana courts to violate state sovereignty in favor of the compact as well. And then it has points D, E, F, G, H, I, J, and K. Let me read through these quickly. They are disturbing. Uh, Point D, it says, unknown cost to Louisiana taxpayers. The fiscal note shows that we have no idea how much this will cost the taxpayers, but the commission can borrow, accept, or contract for services of personnel, including non-governmental organizations. This is the Zuckerberg or a tech company who will have control over our teachers' data, question mark, question mark, question mark. Hire employees is in quotes, lease, purchase, property, real, personal, movable, immovable, quote unquote, borrow money, quote unquote, requires the payment of fees by members' states, but the fiscal note can give no idea as to the amount. So they're stealing from people, and they're allowing foreign entities to have influence over how much money is charged, which means it's just going to get kicked back to them. Nightmare. Point E, it allows for emergency powers. Contains language similar to our Emergency Powers Act, but instead of unconstitutional power grab in state, it would be a power grab from this unelected, unaccountable commission in other state in another state, or all states, frankly, that agree to this. Globalism. Point F then says, allow for date collection on our teachers and in information exchange, quote-unquote, according to rules decided by the out-of-state commission. That's that's really sketchy. Uh, Let's see. Point G. Requires our court and the governor's office and our courts to enforce the compact, quote-unquote, once again, sight unseen. Point H, requires any dispute to be decided in court, in U.S. District Court and the D.C., or wherever this commission ends up being domiciled. This, This is awful. Oh, it's a one-world government court over everything regarding teacher licensure and a thousand other things. They're creating their own separate Department of Education that would wield more power than the Department of Education already does. This is awful. It says, point I, very difficult to exit rather the compact once the state enters. It says the bill says that a state can pass a statute to leave the compact, but the state would still not be able to leave for six months, and then only after, quote, the continuing requirement of the withdrawing state's licensing authority to comply with the investigative and adverse action reporting requirements of the compact prior to the effective date of withdrawal, unquote. They're locked in because they want to make sure that they essentially start axing as many teachers as humanly possible. And they're probably, again, not going to be getting rid of the bad ones. They're going to be getting rid of the good ones. 
That's, that's my two cents anyway. Point J, commission has no liability for data breaches. The commission will see up governance rules for facilitating exchange and use of information data privacy, but has no liability for data breaches or anything else they do wrong in handling licensure of teachers. Not good. And finally, point K allows the commission to be controlled by an executive committee, quote-unquote, of eight members who can meet in secret meetings outside the view of the teachers or parents. It says regarding other matters as set forth by commission bylaws and rules, the summary of the minutes of the secret meeting is not available to the public or the other states and are under seal unless a majority of the states agree without a court order, it says. There's a typo right there in the last sentence, but I'm not quite sure what they mean there. Either way, um, it, they're setting up their own committee to make their own decisions. So you'd, again, you'd better believe that it's a, a giant education government agency inside of our country, separate from the Department of Education, that has basically complete control. And it's not just licensure that they would be controlling. They would be controlling theoretically everything. Because again, they would be bypassing the State Department of Education, which means they would be telling the State Department of Education what to be doing. It's awful. Absolutely awful. It's a completely separate government. So be on the lookout for things like that in your state, wherever you live. Uh, you know, they're probably not going to want to make things like this very public because they are remarkably nefarious at face value. Just more reason to leave the system, that's all. And hopefully a group like that certainly wouldn't have any oversight regarding homeschooling environments. And they wouldn't get involved with homeschooling environments, although we can assume that they probably would eventually. And that's probably where they're moving because, again, they're seeing their own business crumble in front of their eyes, which means they're going to want to have some kind of oversight over individuality as much as possible because that's what they're doing with this bill within the profession. So again, thank you for sending that my way. Uh, she was in complete agreement with me on this. She said she read through it and, and thought the exact same thing, that it just it, it's beyond nefarious. It's just, again, the long arm of government over top of the already existing crumbling government in an effort to, uh, to make things even worse, both in the immediate and then on down the line assuming that people are still going to be in the business, which shocks me that that would be the case. Uh, let, let me get into a couple of jab-related education things here, too, because there are a number of them. As we know, unfortunately, uh, more and more teachers, administrators, and students are, are dropping dead from the jabs, and there's a Pennsylvania school district that is taking their summer break at least a day early because their art and drama male teacher uh, drop dead suddenly, quote unquote. And so instead of bringing them all back for one final day where everybody would know that they died, and certainly plenty would know that they died from the shots, uh, they just decided to take summer break early. So they said, Have a nice summer, adios. And everybody just kind of hit the road. I'll tell you what, they've destroyed themselves. They have really destroyed their own business and they have no idea. This is what happens when you, when you simply play follow the leader right off a cliff. 
It, it always ends up this way. Um, let me read this too. This comes from Aaron Siri, and this is the guy who is one of the main lawyers for the ICANN organization. He's again one of the individuals, one of many going after the jabs and uh, the institutions that were benefiting from the jabs. They've also been analyzing a lot of the Pfizer documents as well. But he put out a Twitter thread here, and I just want to read some of the statistics from this. It's rather interesting as to how some of these universities, of course, received their donations from Pfizer specifically. Uh, not good. He said the following here. It says, Pfizer donations to universities in 2021, of course, had no influence on those universities' COVID-19 vaccine guidance. Of course not. Rutgers State University. They received $1,944,101 from Pfizer. John, John Hopkins received uh, $923,525. Boston University, $914,500. University of New Mexico, $900,000. University of California, $612,000 in change. Purdue University, $563,000 in change. It then says Pfizer donations to hospitals in 2021, of course, had no influence on those hospitals' COVID-19 vaccine guidance. The Mayo Clinic got $802,000 in change. Cleveland Clinic got $591,000 in change from Pfizer. Massachusetts General Hospital received $539,000 in change. It says, let's see here, Brigham and Women's Hospital, 290000 and change, and the Charlotte Mecklenburg Hospital Authority received $240,000 in change. As far as professional medical associations go, the top recipient of Pfizer's donations was the American Gastroenterological Association with $643,000 and change. Uh, next was the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology at $639,000. American Academy of Physicians Assistants, $445,000 and change. American Academy of Family Physicians, 430000 and change. Uh, Rheumatology Nurses Society, 398000 plus. And the National Association of Managed Care Physicians at 320000 and change. Cancer organizations also can't make this up. The Cancer Care Co-Payment Assistance Foundation. They were at the top of the list, as it turns out, and they received $24,567,144. Do you see how the money changes hands here between these institutions, the ones that cause cancer and then the ones that refuse to actually treat it? They're all criminal organizations, all of them. The National Comprehensive Cancer Network, $1 million. 294,910 the association of community cancer centers 1.1 million dollars prostate cancer foundation half a million and the cancer support community 470,000 and change the american heart association received 366,000 
and change the American Society of Nuclear Cardiology, 217,000. The American College of Cardiology, 152,000 from Pfizer. Heart Failure Society of America, 50 grand. And the Poultry Children's Cardiomyopathy Foundation received a measly $10,000 from Pfizer. You know, because they love the kids and all. Uh, it's, it's just exhausting. It can't, it can't be more criminal. And the only reason that anybody would give any charitable donation, so they think, to a cancer organization would be because that person is brainwashed. It's the only explanation. The very company causing the cancer is giving money to an organization, again, that is refusing to find a cure for cancer, even though that cure exists, and do whatever they can to keep that cure from the people because, well, as we all know, the cure is not profitable. Never is. You have to perpetuate the problem. It's the only way you make money. Okay, the World Health Organization's pandemic treaty news, so to speak. To be honest, very little has come out of this thus far. Uh, In just kind of the basic digging that I've done, even the New York Post got a hold of this. But again, it's not really shocking. They're just simply saying that the next pandemic will be even deadlier than COVID and that it's coming. So when they're telling us things like this, of course, we have to listen and take it seriously because it's not that the illness is actually going to be serious. It's that the panic is going to be manufactured and certainly made to be real. And then, of course, timing is everything, which means they're going to want uh, this probably to occur anytime between now and next summer, certainly just in time for a presidential election. But the article from the New York Post says this. It says that, uh, yes, it will be even deadlier than the COVID-19 pandemic. And it says, in a meeting with the World Health Organization Assembly in Geneva, Switzerland on Monday, Director General Dr. Tedros Adnam Gebrezis sounded an alarm that the COVID-19 pandemic is far from over. Quote, the threat of another variant emerging that causes new surges of diseases and death remains. And then he said, and the threat of another pathogen emerging with even deadlier potential remains. When the next pandemic occurs, knocking, and it will, we must be ready to answer decisively, collectively, and equitably. We cannot kick this can down the road, he said. And if we do not make the changes that must be made, then who will? And if we do not make them now, then when? Okay, probably a good time to bring this up now. Uh, This leads me to what AJ sent me regarding something called Operation Crimson Contagion. And I'm going to read his email to me and then highlight the points that he suggested I pay attention to here in these documents. Uh, One of them is longer than the other. But they're both PDFs. I'll put both of these PDFs on my website under the Government Documents tab. It'll be that first option when you click on that, and then it'll be the most recent document at the bottom of that list. But he said, hey, Sean, I'm attaching two documents that describe the Crimson Contagion Conference in 2019. 
Planning began early in 2019, and the big virtual conference was held sometime in July or August of 2019 before the public heard about COVID. The first link is to a big New York Times PDF of a HHS report on the conference. Pages 13 and 14 give you an idea as to the participants around the country. Chicago Public Health seems to be one of the key local players in all of this. Now, in this Chicago document, I want to uh, I, I want to read through some of these slides. It's not it's not long. There are 18 slides, and they're not very big. And I may not read through all of them, but it's titled "Healthy Chicago" from the Chicago Department of Public Health. And again, it is also titled "Public Health Preparedness Successes." Operation Crimson Contagion Closed POD Exercise Media Campaign. Here's the agenda. It says Public Health Emergency Preparedness and Response Overview, the CDPH's role in Operation Crimson Contagion, and then the media campaign slash public awareness. The overview from the public awareness section here. Says Public Health Emergencies Preparedness and Hospital Preparedness Program, Preparedness Vision, a well-prepared and resilient Chicago. Yes, that's right. When we think of uh, well-prepared and resilient, Chicago immediately comes to mind. I'm kidding. Uh, Preparedness Mission. We help the city of Chicago prepare for, respond to, and recover from emergencies in order to protect the public's health and minimize adverse effects on residents, visitors, and the healthcare system. What about all the crime there? If they only cared more about the crime than they do fake illnesses, they could clean up that city in an instant, maybe. Who knows? Values. And they have values, ladies and gentlemen. Accountability, efficiency, effectiveness, collaboration, credibility, and integrity. And then they have a giant Venn diagram. And this is on page five of this nine-page, uh, sorry, 17-page PDF. Uh, it's awful. And it's basically exactly what you would expect it to be. It's those in charge at the top, and then it sort of filters down like those telephone chains where you call this person and then you tell these people what to do and so on and so forth. It's just like that. It's from the Bureau of Public Health Emergency Preparedness and Response. You have the commissioner at the top, the chief medical officer at the top, and the deputy commissioner of public health per, uh, protection at the top. And then separate from them, you have public information officer and the do-it deputy commissioner, whatever that means. But below the, the first three that I mentioned, the commissioner, the chief medical officer, and the deputy commissioner for public health protection, you have everybody that you would expect. You have all of the mayors, you have all of the administrations, you have the branches of food, surveillance, hospital, healthcare, right down to the very funders themselves and even student interns. It goes that low. So this is, this is a perfect example of what, of course, occurred with the COVID nonsense and why we were all stunned that countless people were just not only going along with it, but no one was deviating. And the reason that they weren't deviating from any plan was because there was already a plan in place. And this plan, of course, is clearly from 2019. 
and not a single person asked, hey, why are we doing this? Are you anticipating something? Seems rather suspicious. But this right here again, I'm going to probably put this Venn diagram on Gab. It's disturbing because it just shows countless individuals who have influence over one another and how nobody is asking any questions whatsoever like, hey, do we really need to be doing this? Is this manufactured? They also have numerous partnerships from a company standpoint, including, of course, the Chicago Police Department, uh, the Fire Department, the American Red Cross, shocking, and yes, that's right, the Illinois Masonic Medical Center, because why not? The whole city of Chicago, the Illinois Department of Public Health, so on and so on and so on. Crimson Contagion 2019 series. It says the disease that they highlighted in this fake thing is titled H7N9 with sustained human-to-human transmission. The exercise series took place between January 23rd and 24th of 2019 as a tabletop exercise including internal HHS staff. And then the Chicago and Illinois Pandemic Influenza completed one on uh, April 10th of 2019. The Federal Intra-Agency Seminar completed one in May 14th and 15th of 2019, and then Crimson Contagion Functional Exercise was between August 13th and the 16th of 2019, which included local, state, federal, private sector, and non-governmental organization participation. Then you have all these dummies meeting in a room, watching PowerPoint presentations and movies and uh, Uh, doing just horrible, horrible things. These people are awful. They've got body bags, pictures of body bags. They've got quarantine centers set up. And then a number of slides down, they actually get into what the medical provider's message needs to be and then what the public messaging needs to be. And that's where this presentation ends. So as far as the provider messaging goes, they said that their goal is to increase frontline health care workers, emergency department, primary care, and urgent care physicians' awareness of reportable diseases and increase enrollment in the Health Alert Network, or HAN. And it says the results uh, showed 10,200 print impressions. 131,377 digital impressions and 158 digital checks. So, propaganda and pamphlets and things like that. As far as the public messaging goes, it says their goal is to educate and encourage Chicago residents to prepare, respond, and recover from public health emergencies. The results showed uh, 47.8 million impressions on CTA ads, 29,800 clicks on website landing pages, and 3.9 million impressions on Facebook, which deemed 7,800 clicks. I'm sorry, 6,800 clicks. And then ironically enough, they end with a quote from Stephen King, of all people. Yes, that's right. The borderline pedophile, if not pedophile, horror writer. There's no harm in hoping for the best as long as you're prepared for the worst, unquote. They know exactly what they're doing. 
This is all pre-planned, always has been, always will be, and they're going to do it again. Um, here's the next section of the email he sent me, which leads to the next documentation. This one is titled Coordinating Draft, and then it says Do Not Distribute. Uh, Crimson Contagion 2019 Functional Exercise Key Findings. And what he said was, is that the pages, uh, here we go, pages 13 and 14 give you an idea of the participants around the country. And then he said, Chicago Public Health seems to be one of the key local players in all of this. Um, let's see. Notice on slide 12, document heading top 10 successes. Eight is non-pharmaceutical interventions, social distancing, and school closures discussion. When did you ever hear of the term social distancing before 2020? Correct. He also said toward the end of this document, which is 63 pages long, the last seven some odd pages go right through as an appendix all of the exercising participating organizations, and there are many. These are the federal organizations. I'm just going to, oh my God, I'm not even going to read through all of them. Pick a federal organization, ladies and gentlemen, at the federal level, they're involved. The executive offices of the president, the National Security Council, they're involved. Everybody below the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, every single one of them. Health, legislation, preparedness and response, public affairs, general counsel, health information technology. And then the U.S. Department of Agriculture is involved, the U.S. Department of Commerce is involved, U.S. Department of Defense, Department of Energy, Department of Homeland Security, Federal Emergency Management Agency, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, Department of Interior, Justice, Labor, State, Transportation, Treasury, Veterans Affairs, Environmental Protection Agency, General Services Admission, they're all in on it. They all know about this. The entire state of New Hampshire, state of Connecticut, the state of Massachusetts, the state of New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Chicago, state of Illinois, state of New Mexico, state of Nebraska, state of Colorado, state of Arizona, Idaho, all of the Idaho public health districts and health organizations, New Mexico, more from Arizona, including all of the native tribes. They're all here as well. And then they have a bunch of non-governmental and private sector organizations also that are wrapped up in this too. They're all involved. They all know what they're doing. They're all a part of it. These drafts, these, these mock-up scenarios of these crisis situations, all of these organizations in our entire government are in on it. They're all participants in it, which actually then leads me to this. And again, regarding those two documents that I just described that AJ threw my way, I'll put those up on my website. But I wanted to read you this because this came from a listener of the show also. And I think you're definitely going to want eyes on this one, certainly in the future. I mean, this is one of those mark your calendar event things. Uh, they received a text, I think, from someone or they sent a text to somebody. However, this communication panned out. But then I have another letter that they said that they received at their workplace. But this was a text message. It says, perhaps tomorrow there will be a massive Houston citywide disaster event training. Now, this was a couple of days ago. So if it occurred, then it's already occurred. 
the question before I read this text message too is, and it was an excellent question by uh, Jesse James or a statement rather. He said, one of the things that they'll do, of course, is they'll take these crisis scenarios and these manufactured situations and they'll tape them in advance and then they'll air them to the public at a later date to basically try to prove to the public, hey, look, this is going on right now. This happened right now. When in fact, it was a training event that happened weeks, if not months before. And that's certainly one of the things that people have to keep in mind. Unfortunately, they see things on television and they think that they happened that day. And then they also think that they are real. When in fact, both things are false in many cases. They don't actually happen that day. They're taped in advance and maybe the footage is all spliced together to make it look like it's happening on the same day when it's not. Either way, they continued with this text message and they said, my dad is a part of it. And the federal government is involved. The exercise will involve wounded people from Alabama being flown into Houston for medical treatment. Police and the fire department will be on site for assistance to the hospital. Not sure why the police would be involved, but whatever. And then it says, from there, the hospitals will do whatever they do. I kind of wish I was involved to experience what the hospitals would be like in a disaster scenario. The city of Houston is putting multiple fire stations out of commission tomorrow. My question is, why are they doing any of this? And then the letter that this individual received in their workplace was a memo directly from Homeland Security and Emergency Management to Fort Bend County, Texas, if memory serves here. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's dated May 23rd of 2023. It says, full-scale exercise advisory, Fort Bend County Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, quote, this advisory is to notify you that a full-scale exercise will be conducted on June 7th, 2023 at Orba D. Tompkins High School, KDISD. 4400 Falcon Landing Boulevard, Katy, Texas, 77494, beginning at 8 a.m. This exercise will be to simulate an active attack occurring at the high school to evaluate emergency response plans and operations. In order to safely and successfully coordinate this exercise with, with, with a large response, roadways immediately surrounding the school will be closed for a portion of the day on June 7th. There will be numerous emergency response vehicles as well as aircraft weather permitting. A large contingent of student, teacher, and parent volunteers have agreed to participate in order to make this exercise as realistic as possible. In an effort to maintain transparency and ease any community alarm, KDISD will begin to notify parents, guardians, staff, community members, media, and surrounding businesses on May 23rd, 2023, with follow-up reminders on May 31st, June 5th, June 6th, and June 7th. If you have any questions or concerns about this full-scale exercise, please feel free to contact our office at 281-342-6185, unquote. I'll tell you what, I don't like any of this. I just don't like any of this. I don't like how the federal government has its hands in these crisis situations or these crisis scenarios at schools. 
The normalization of this is completely insane. And as we know, as even Jesse James said that I mentioned a minute ago, they have the capacity to film this and then serve it up to the public at a later date or even the same day and tell them that this was an actual shooting that actually occurred. Oh, it was a last day of school shooting in the school district. And what a tragedy. And then everybody just believes it. Even though it's in the government's own documentation and they're claiming that endless parents, guardians, and staff and community members not only know about this, but are actually willfully participating in it. Again, we know that the Smith-Munt Act was revised under Obama to lie to people about what's really going on. But I, I just don't like any of this. All this stuff is awful. It's the normalization of a security state. It's, it's designed to increase panic. It's designed to do all of that. And ultimately, of course, cause people to forfeit their weapons. But this is awful. I just I don't like any of it. So either way, eyes on this event in the future. Based on what this memo says, June 7th of 2023 in Katy, Texas. So we shall see. Time will tell. I want to read this now. Uh, this came, uh, again, just a very quick post here from greatawakening.win, and it leads right into another article here from Dr. Mercola regarding pediatricians' offices and, of course, why they're pushing the jabs, and we know why. It's because of money, and again, if they knew what they were doing to their patients, really, they probably wouldn't be doing it. But this particular post is titled the following. It says, Doctor visit yesterday, it became apparent that physicians must get some sort of cut from getting vaccines. Clearly. It says, very first thing doctor did was attempt to sell me on taking the pneumonia vaccine. They must be suffering financially from losing the COVID jab monetary incentives. They then said, quote, the minute he walked in the door, he said, quote, before we discuss your issue, let me talk to you about getting this vaccine, unquote. He knew immediately from the look on my face that wasn't happening. I don't recall ever having such a push on vaccines before this whole COVID BS, unquote. Again, it's clearly an open red flag for anybody to see that these individuals pushing any jab whatsoever going forward here have lost the plot. They have no idea what they're doing. They're completely out to lunch, and people have got to stay away from these individuals. Um, here's the article here from Dr. Joseph Mercola from LouRockwell.com. It's titled, Is This Why Pediatricians Push Vaccines? It's a lengthy article, and I really just want to bounce around it a little bit, but it starts off and it says, In April of 2023, I reported how primary care providers across the United States were bribed with incentive programs to coerce patients into getting the toxic COVID shot. Since there was no medical malpractice liability, doctors profited while patients risked their lives as participants in an unprecedented medical experiment all while being lied to about the safety and effectiveness of these injections. And it goes on and on. It, uh, one of the major subsections here says, pediatricians are financially incentivized to vaccinate. It says, as it turns out, doctors have been financially incentivized to vaccinate children for a long time. According to a 1999 JAMA Pediatrics uh, article, rather, 
the average patient load of an American pediatrician is 1,546, although the numbers of patients was significantly higher in less populated areas and solo practices. Of these 8.3% were younger than one years old, 9.5 were one year old, and 8.6 were two years old. That means approximately 26.4% of the average pediatrician's patients were two years old and younger. More recent data published in 2021 shows that 75% of pediatricians have been one th- have between rather 1,000 and 1,800 patients, and 21% have around 1,200 patients. Most practices, 65%, are in the 1,000 to 1,500 range. It says, as shown in the 2016 Provider Incentive Program document from Blue Cross Blue Shield, which I read here on the show, uh, pediatricians were getting $400 for each pediatric patient that completed all the 10 vaccinations listed, 25 doses in all, before their second birthday. It then says, how much money is at stake? It says, the math from there is pretty straightforward, although keep in mind, that we're dealing with presumed averages in aged statistics here. It says, just multiply the number of patients under age two times $400. Using the average statistics from 1999, if a pediatrician has 1,000 patients, 264 can be expected to be two years old or younger. If all are fully vaccinated, the pediatrician would be eligible for a $105,600 year-end bonus. And then they again show that document that that I read here on the show. Uh, Another subsection of the article says why pediatricians become adversaries. It says, anytime financial incentives are a part of the equation, one can reasonably assume that the lure of self-enrichment will win. With tens of thousands of dollars at stake, pediatricians can easily be lured into complacency when it comes to digging deeper into the science. Another subsection says patients are bribed too. In addition to the financial incentives given to physicians, quote-unquote client and family incentives also exist. A non-governmental panel of public health and prevention experts called the Community Preventative Services Task Force in 2015 published a guide on how to boost vaccination rates using incentive rewards for patients this is uh this one this one is awful it says the task force was established by the US Department of Health and Human Services in 1996 to quote develop guidance on which community based health promotion and disease prevention intervention approaches work and which ones do not based on available scientific evidence As explained by the task force, they said the following, quote, The Community Preventative Services Task Force recommends client or family incentive rewards used alone or in combination with additional interventions to increase vaccination rates in children and adults. Client or family incentive rewards are used to motivate people to obtain recommended vaccinations. Rewards may be monetary or non-monetary and they may be given to clients or families in exchange for keeping an appointment, receiving a vaccination, returning for a vaccination series, or producing documentation of vaccination status. Rewards are typically small, e.g., 
food, food vouchers, gift cards, lottery prizes, and baby products, unquote. And then there's another, it goes on and on, but it says there's another subsection here uh, titled bribery and vaccine mandates. It says bribery is also par for the course when it comes to vaccine mandates. As detailed in a previous article, Pfizer paid undisclosed sums of front groups that advocated for COVID jab mandates, thereby hiding their conflict of interest. In part due to the fake grassroots quote unquote work of these groups, Pfizer was able to rake in a record breaking $100 billion in sales in 2022. The next subsection is titled Childhood Vaccination Rates Tanked During COVID. It said, while the COVID 19 pandemic furthered many globalist goals, it inadvertently tanked childhood vaccination rates as many parents ended up missing routine well child visits due to clinic closures, lockdowns, and fear of taking their children outside, as reported by the American Medical Association in November of 2021. Well, I would take it a step further, too, and I would say that it woke up a lot of parents to the medical tyranny, and they simply said, wait a minute, you've got all this COVID nonsense, and now I'm supposed to give my kid a flu shot or another shot? I I think I'm going to hold off on all of this stuff from now on and do my own research. And what you end up having is, you end up having copious amounts of parents who never take their kids to the doctors anymore, and thank God for it, because those kids are the ones that are the healthiest. And then one of the final subsections here uh, is titled, The Big Catch-Up Initiative which, as we know, is also being led by Chelsea Clinton, of all people, and she's a Satanist. Uh, It says, to get childhood vaccination rates back on track, Chelsea Clinton is now making the rounds, promoting a new vaccine initiative called The Big Catch-Up. In a recent interview with Fortune magazine, Clinton promised it would be the largest childhood immunization effort ever. Over the next 18 months, this initiative will attempt to catch up as many kids as possible, she said. She's a Satanist. Um, let's see. And the daughter of Webster Hubble, who is also dead. The final subsection says vaccine program is run soft media style, quote unquote. It says when you look at all of these areas of bribery and financial incentives, doesn't it seem as though the entire vaccine program runs on financial coercion, a sort of soft mafia kind of operation? where the threats and promises all revolve around money and public professional shaming versus accolades. It says, what would happen if all financial incentives were removed? All the performance bonuses paid to doctors, the freebies given to patients, the charitable donations, quote-unquote, to industry-friendly organizations and payments to front groups. What would happen if parents were simply given unbiased evidence and no one was financially driven to pressure them either way. I don't have the answer. It's a thought experiment, but I suspect that vaccine rates would drop dramatically, unquote. Yes, they certainly would. The problem is, is that the naive and unknowledgeable parent has to get out of their own way, and they stop have to trusting the system and pumping themselves and their children with just random things because they think that they might work. They have no idea that the entire scheme is a criminal one and a poisonous one. And until they understand that, well, 
they're just going to keep jabbing their kids and jabbing themselves. And we know that that only ends in one way. Almost in closing here, uh, this comes from Redacted with Clay Morris and his wife. And uh, this is from Lion of Judah at Liberty Mutual 8 on Twitter. And Sandy from Michigan just tossed this my way. It says, Attention. The World Health Organization, John Hopkins University, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation completed a new pandemic simulation back in October of 2022 in Belgium, Germany. It says, these are the same exact people who ran the Event 201, which was a pandemic situation, I'm sorry, simulation. They ran for COVID six months before the real COVID pandemic hit. According to the simulation, this new pandemic will originate in Brazil in 2025, and the virus is called SEERS, S-E-E-R-S, Severe Epidemic Enterovirus Respiratory Syndrome. Reports in the simulation stated, there'd be a billion cases worldwide with 20 million deaths, including 15 million children with countless millions left with paralysis. S-E-E-R-S is an enterovirus like polio that can not only affect the nerves in the spinal cord and cause paralysis, but can also affect the brainstem and make people brain dead. According to the simulation, we have approximately a year and a half to get as ready as possible. Plan accordingly. This is going to be the snake poison that continues to have an impact on those that are already jabbed, and then they're going to turn up the 5G to 11. And that 5G is going to negatively impact the jab, and then you're going to start seeing more of those individuals just dropping. They're going to say it's a respiratory illness when in fact it is not. It's a central nervous system disorder as a result of the snake venom that they have taken. And all they have to do again is turn up the 5G and then all hell would break loose around, in particular, those who are around the 5G. Now, in the episode of Redacted, it's about six minutes long. There's not a ton to listen to, but they ran through a very similar Event 201 scenario with their actors all sitting around a table, basically saying the same things that they said during the Event 201 staged thing, which is everybody has to be on the same page. We have to increase communication, and we most certainly have to increase compliance. We need everybody to be involved in this for the sake of humanity. Uh, If this is what they have planned in the future, so be it. Um, I personally think, again, you're going to see a massive divide in society, much like we saw with the COVID thing, only this time. You're going to see it ramped up even more. And I think there's going to be even more patriots out in front saying, we're not playing this game anymore. We know what's going on. We've learned too much. We're not going along with this. And they're, and they're using this, the enemy would be using this again, this Sears syndrome, so to speak, as fictitious as it is. They would be using this to sow more division as much as humanly possible, to crush the economy, to destroy businesses. And if anybody's dumb enough to go along with it, well, you reap what you sow. So take that for what you want, but Again, mass noncompliance is the only way forward here. We, we, we can't do what government wants us to do, no matter what fake scenarios they create and what horrible plans they have in the future. 
We just have to lock and load and be ready to rock and roll when the time comes, if the time comes. But we shouldn't be complying with any of this. What we should be doing, though, is telling people about these scenarios that they have planned and that they've already worked out. You could simply ask people, even your jabbed friends or family members, if you still talk to them, you could, you could ask them about Event 201. Have you ever heard about Event 201? And they'll look at you and be like, no. And say, well, it was a planned scenario with actors and all these government organizations working together along with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to simulate what it would be like to have a pandemic. And oh, by the way, that happened in 2019. Have you ever heard of Crimson Contagion, Operation Crimson Contagion? They'd go, no. Well, it was a very similar thing, but at a very local level. But it still involved every government agency in our own government when it came to pandemic situations, so to speak. And then ask them about this. Have you ever heard of Sears and the severe epidemic enterovirus respiratory syndrome? They, of course, would probably say something like, what do you mean? Sears, the old department store that was in the mall back in the day that could, you know, sell TVs, jeans, and a bag of mulch? No, not that Sears. This other Sears pandemic scenario. Have you heard about this one? They'll be like, no, I haven't heard about that one either. Then run it through with them. Say they're going to do this again. So whatever you do in the future, never take another shot for the rest of your life. Don't jab any of your children ever again. Stay as far away from hospitals and doctor's offices as humanly possible. They're going to run through this scenario again. And it's going to be the already jabbed dropping dead from both the 5G and the ill effects of the jab, because again, they timed this out. They know that there's a kill switch with those COVID shots. They know that there's only so long that a person can live with that snake venom cleaving their RNA, which means if they keep making these scenarios, they're using the scenario to justify the increased death among the already jabbed. That's, that's the situation. That's the plan. At least from my perspective, that's what, that's what this is. It's being used as an excuse. So certainly spread the word on that and keep that in mind moving forward. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up. My hope is that on Monday, I will be able to air an episode that I will record here with my aunt. And my aunt is in town visiting and love having her around always. And she used to work for a church as their choir director in North Carolina. And we're going to have a conversation, hopefully, about the COVID craziness during that time. She's no longer working with the church. She's wanted to leave since this COVID nonsense. And uh, yeah, she is unjabbed, never wore the mask, wide awake, and continuing to learn about a great many things. And uh, she's going to describe again the behavior, sort of the order of operations as to how her former church operated. And it's interesting, without a doubt. It's sad because again, Many of them fell for it, as we all know. All these churches just fell in line and actually thought they were helping somebody, when in fact, they've just gone along with the depopulation agenda, and they've hurt many people and killed plenty of them as well. And they aren't making the connections necessarily. So there's that. Uh, Hopefully I can bring that episode to you again on Monday. With that said, have a good weekend. Have a safe weekend again, and I will catch you on Monday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. 
Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.